0: Hey, welcome here, Midland Free. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Awesome. You're in the second service, if you didn't know that yet. My name is Pastor Jeremy. Welcome here. We're glad you are with us. If you didn't get coffee, sorry, we're already closed, but maybe next week. That's the best opener I've got this morning. I'm sorry. I'm coming up with something here in a minute. Ah, here it is. Good. I have this game... That I brought with me this morning. Uh, It's a game that we have in our house, but we've stopped playing. We had it in our house originally because it's a very simple game. It's one that everyone can play because it doesn't involve much thought or a strategy. It's a simple spin of the wheel. Have you seen this game before? This is the game of life. Exactly right. Because this is all there is, right? (laughs) Zit. That's what Hasbro told me, that life is simply random chance determined by the spin of the wheel. So what life looks like then is a windy path along which we go to the very end where all of our lives are over. You know what that's called? Retirement. (laughs) That's what it says right here. Retirement, life is over. The game is up. <laughs> is that Christian? No, of course not. But here's what they, sh- they say is, you know, you spin the wheel. And then you go however many spaces and you pick your path. You choose your career. And the goal is to get the most cars, the most kids, the most houses, and the most money. And if you have the most at the end, that means you win. Yeah, that's what life is all about. Is it? Of course not. Most of us would say that we in no way whatsoever affirm this ideology. And yet at the same time, even though philosophically we say that's not it, many of us are kind of like, well, money sure doesn't hurt, right? I mean, I got a lot of needs, I got a lot of problems, and it seems like a lot of them could be solved by money. I'm a human creature, I get hungry every single day, I need to eat. And even if I ate all the food I possibly could, which I plan to do this afternoon, I'll still wake up tomorrow morning hungry. My needs continually regenerate themselves, both physically and spiritually, emotionally, uh, psychologically, and relationally. Over and over again, my needs are just keep coming back up. No matter what I do, they're always there. I need. I am both a creature who has physical needs, and I am a human creature who has spiritual, emotional, and psychological needs. And so I begin to look at this game, and we've, we've stopped playing it in our house because we don't want to communicate the wrong thing. But again, to answer my question, I ask myself the question, like, how does this work? If the Bible tells me to be content and yet I'm continually having need, how is it that I can ever be truly content? Because my needs just keep coming up over and over again. Philippians chapter 4 is actually going to answer that question for us, and what it will say to us is that we are content not in the absence of need, but instead in the presence of Christ. It is not the absence of need, but instead the communion that we have with Jesus Christ that brings contentment. In other words, being in Christ does not mean that we will never experience need, but instead what it means is that as I am experiencing those needs, as they come my way, then by leaning into him and prayerfully walking through them... God will grow me in the process, and eventually I will learn to truly be content. That topic today is going to come from Philippians chapter 4, the subject of contentment, the secret sauce of life. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn there. Um, I'm going to take it back to the very beginning of chapter 4 and just give you the overarching theme and then move in to today's verses In 10 through 20, I just want to remind you where we are at. Apostle says this to his beloved church in Philippi. He says, hey, guys, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you didn't get that again, I'm going to say the same thing. Rejoice, 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 rejoice. Now, what you see him doing then in the next few verses is exactly that. He's a missionary. He's been through a lot of stuff in life. He's nearing the end of his time. And as a result, he's sort of looking back over his shoulder and saying, hey, there's been a lot of ups and downs along the way. There's been good times. There's been difficult times. There's been tremendous successes, and there's been long, long days. But you Philippians, you church, have always been with me all along the way, throughout all the ups and downs, You've remained faithful, and I am super-duper-duper thankful for you. And in that, then, I rejoice. Verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length, over this, after a long period of time, again, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm speaking of being in need. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And as a result, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yeah, it was very kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now, it's not like I'm seeking a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And just like he did for me, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. So like I said just a minute ago, what's happening here is Paul's basically saying thanks. And he's in a bit of an awkward position. He doesn't want to necessarily um, come across in a way that he easily could as sort of a televangelist or someone who's out to get money. He's being very careful to say, hey, hey, I'm not after your funds, but I am interested in your spiritual development. And because of that, and because of the fact that I know your money is where your heart is, I am thankful that you have demonstrated where your heart is by giving. In a similar way, I can say to you, church, thanks. You know, we're not out to get your money. That's not the point. But we do want to communicate the gospel, and that does have a cost. And so when you give to the proclamation of the gospel and the furtherance of the mission of the church... You are doing a good thing, and I want to encourage that. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, look, guys, you did a good job. I appreciate it. Don't let me overlook it, but also don't think that I'm trying to get in your wallet, because I'm not. The point is, is I'm just thankful that God is at work in you, and I pray that he continually will be, so I see you bearing fruit over and over and over again. Thank you. Thank you. It's much like you'd receive from a, a missionary update or a missionary letter. So here are three verses then that sort of give us an idea of the way the apostle thinks. And I think it's kind of cool because it could be seen as just sort of the closing to his letter. But what comes out of it is really sort of his philosophy on life. In this section, you find the secret of contentment or how the apostle goes through all the ups and downs of everyday life. When I start talking about money and spinning the wheel and stuff like that, you could think that this sermon is all about money. But when you pursue this passage, what you'll really see is it's a lot bigger than that. It's not just your finances, but it's your entire life. We all have needs, even if you're financially secure. You've got all kinds of crazy needs. Money can't do everything for you. The apostle knows it, and he says, hey, you want to know a secret? I'm going to tell it to you right now. Despite the fact that your body, that your emotions, that everything around you continually regenerates need, there is a way to actually be content. And this is it. In any and every circumstance, verse 12, in whatever situation you're in, verse 11, there is a secret of contentment. Verse 13, that you can do all things through him who strengthens you now that if you're in uh, a lot of different church settings is probably a pretty common verse philippians 4:13 some people who play football you know paint it underneath their eyes and like philippians 4:13 arrr, you know here we go i'm going to win this game <laughs> from philippians 4:13 perhaps even people that play the lottery buy their ticket and write on the back of it philippians 4:13 you know Presidential bid, Philippians 4.13, you know, I can do anything, right? I can become an astronaut. I can learn ballet. I can, no. This verse is not a universal claim to omnipotence. In fact, it's very different from that. And what you will see here is that it is not the ability to do all things without exception. Now, I want to Hone in on that, not just because I'm into interpretation, but because the reality is, if you interpret this wrongly, if you think, okay, this verse tells me I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, then what's going to happen is you'll experience something that will cause you to fail, and all of a sudden you'll doubt your faith. How come God didn't come through? How come this didn't work? Either A, I don't have enough faith, or B, the Bible is wrong. Neither of those are true. Instead, this verse remains true as long as you consistently interpret it in its context. Here's what I mean. The all of verse 13 is referring to the things of verse 12. The all of verse 13 is referring to the things of verse 12. You can write that down or download the slides later, but let me show you it. In context, here's the all. The all includes abounding, facing plenty, and abundance. Great. That's the stuff we're after. But look what else the all includes. You see those underlying things? Being brought low, hunger, and that one thing that we human beings experience all the time, need. Need. The Apostle says, I can do all of this, all of these things through Christ who gives me strength. This, then, is the really tough stuff. These are the stories that we would never write for ourselves. These are the things that hurt and wear you out. These are the things that, in and of yourself, you do not have the power to to do this these all things are the things that come to you when you're at the end of your rope and there's nowhere else to turn now if this feels a little bit discouraging i hope not what i'm hoping instead is to add depth in other words when you say Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. You are not talking about winning the lottery or receiving a life of ease. Instead, what you're saying is I'm going through the difficult stuff by the grace and power of God. This is when you claim that verse. Not when you just kick the winning field goal and are carried on the shoulders of your teammates off the field, but instead when you miss that field goal, the other guy goes up on the podium The the stuff comes down and you walk away in defeat. At that point, you say, I can get through this through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I want to point out something that's very interesting to me, and I won't spend too much time on it, but I hope it's interesting to you. And that's this. When we look at Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through... Him who gives me strength. This through is actually the same Greek word in all the other verses that it means in, like inside. So in other words, in Greek, a preposition can mean one thing or another, and what determines it is where it's at in the context. But what I want to point out, the significant connection is this. The whole theme of the letter has been about being in Christ, getting your identity in Him And therefore, you can do all things without grumbling or complaining. You can move forward by grace through faith, and you can have the mind of Christ, and you can do this, and you can do that. Why? Because you're in Christ. This verse is no different. This through is in, and so what it is saying is by nature of your biological slash mystical relationship with Jesus, therefore, being in him, you can do all things. Now, I just said your biological relationship with Jesus. What in the world does that mean? Let me give you a little example. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, I don't see Jesus standing right here, so how am I in Christ? I don't know. That's kind of weird. Here's, here's Here's one way to think of it. My dad passed away in November, and... A lot of times I'm going through life, and I'm just like, okay, just life, doing it, doing it, doing it. And then sometimes I think, boy, it would be really good to be able to ask my dad a question right now. Like, I'd love to just be like, hey, dad, what do you think about this? Or how would you do that? Or can you give me a little direction here? And then I start to think about it. I'm like, well, you know what? Even though my dad is gone from me physically, in a lot of ways, he's really still quite here. And I don't mean to be some, you know, mystic, ancestral, worship, tree spirit, weirdo thing. If you are, come to know Jesus. But what I mean is this. Look, my dad, I am his biological offspring. So whether, whether I like it or not, I can never separate the reality of his impact on my life. His blood is literally flowing through my veins. I am in a very real way and related to him, such that we almost share the same DNA. In other words, his DNA is in me. Now, I looked up online this week, which is where you get all your great information, right, from Google. Um, but Smithsonian Magazine, in their Smart News section, says that inside of us, we have thirty-seven point two trillion cells. In and of ourselves, not including all the other stuff that gets in us. But 32 points, 37.2 trillion cells. That's a lot of space. And in each and every one of those cells, we have the individual's coded strains of our DNA. In other words, my dad is like really, really in me by nature of my biological birth. My relationship via blood to Him. Now, He's not with me, but I have His influence. I have His teachings. I have, in a sense, He Himself flowing through me. In a similar way, if you have repented of your sins and believed in Jesus' death, His burial, His resurrection, and His ascension as your triumphant Savior and Lord, then you have been spiritually reborn and adopted into a new family such that you've received a all, all, totally new DNA. In other words, Jesus' blood is flowing through you in each and every one of your 37.2 trillion cells. God is in you. The Spirit indwells you. You are now inseparable from Him. So even if you'd like to get away from it, you can't because he is there. That's what it means to be in Christ. Now, I know that's still a little bit tricky, but let me read read to you this verse that you're probably familiar with and see how this applies. Romans 8, 38 says this. The Apostle Paul then, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate me from the love of God through or in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle Paul is absolutely convinced that he cannot be separated from the love of God. So why are we not content? Because we're not convinced. We actually fall back into this mindset of thinking, God must not love me because I landed on this square. And that wasn't the square I wanted. If I only landed on this square, then I would be happy. If it only turned out like this, then I would be content. And automatically, even though philosophically we don't agree with this, practically we fall right back into that way of thinking each and every day. That's not what I wanted. I was hoping for something different. Now I'm discontent. Don't be discouraged, church. This happened to the Apostle Paul as well. Believe it or not, it did. And I think he even almost tells you in this passage that it did. Look what verse eleven says. The Apostle Paul says this. This is an encouragement. He says, "I have learned, I have learned. He learned you know he didn't get saved, and then overnight all of a sudden he was perfectly sanctified and good, and every experience he had was just right. He learned over and over again as hunger, abundance, plenty, need those things came his way he walked with Christ, he leaned in, he believed in God's love and he processed those things and he grew in contentment. For the Apostle Paul, it wasn't an overnight process. He didn't instantly become content. But each and every experience in his life grew him just a little bit more so that he could finally say, I have been convinced, I have learned that in whatever situation I'm in, then, I can do all things through Christ. So in other words, contentment then is not... Listen carefully to this. This is significant. Contentment is not the absence of struggle or need. But instead, contentment is the presence of struggle and need overwhelmed by the presence of Christ. Contentment is not the absence of need, but the presence of need. Overwhelmed by the presence of Christ. Therefore, at that point, that is your opportunity to claim this verse. When you're in that spot, when you're at the end of your rope, when you don't think you can go any further, when you're experiencing real need and it is not a path you would have chosen, at that point, that is when you say, I can do all things through Christ strengthens me it's not the touchdown slam dunk finger to the sky prayer but it's instead when i am at my very lowest at that point i can say i can do all things through christ who strengthens me another way the apostle said it is in second corinthians chapter 12 or yeah chapter 12 verse 9 it's a really beautiful thing that shows us how to process these experiences in our lives. And he says it like this. My, this is what Jesus said to Paul. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, the apostle says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In other words, Paul's come to a spot in his life where he says in different places, I have a thorn in the flesh, or I got something that bothers me. This isn't working. I don't like it. I've prayed for it to be healed. I've prayed for it to be taken away, and it never has, and I continually have to face this need. But now that I have faced it, and I've experienced it over and over again, I have learned that that need ends up being the very spot where I experience God's grace the most. And that is the secret of contentment. When you can flip the script and begin to see the bigger picture and not just think, okay, here is the end goal, but instead you see the end goal as God's perfect work in your sanctification, in your spiritual growth, then you see those things in your life that you would have never chosen for yourself as actually a good thing. Now, it's not to say that sin is good. It's not to say that sickness is good. It's not to say anything like that. But instead, what it's saying Is this is basically the model of the cross. The cross is the perfect example. Some people say. Take up your cross and follow me. And you're like. What does that mean? Well. Listen. When Jesus uses that analogy. I think now what he's saying is. There are horribly evil and wicked things that happen in this world. God is not the author of evil. He is going to do away with evil. But. Even though evil does its very best to go crazy in your life, God can take that very thing that Satan tried to use to destroy you and use it for good. That's the nature of the cross. Jesus is totally innocent. He's the only innocent person ever that suffered unjustly on the cross. But God uses that instrument of torture to bring about or affect our salvation. So in the same way, you can listen to Mike or Carol or whoever else get up here and talk about cancer, and they can say, it's God's gift to me. Why? Be- not because cancer is good, but because through that awful experience, I began to experience God's grace even more. And as a result, I can just brag on Him and boast on Him and proclaim His goodness that even in my darkest hour even at the point of my greatest need, even where I was at the very end of my rope, it is there that God met me the most. For my grace, Jesus says, is sufficient for you, and power is made perfect in weakness. So I want us to do that this morning. Uh, I don't have any microphones up here or anything like that. You remember, because of Jesus a few weeks ago. But here's what I want you to do right now. As you think about that one thing in your life, I don't know what the thorn in your flesh is or the cross it is that you have to bear, but I want you to imagine that right now. Ask yourself the question. Maybe it's two things, maybe it's three things. I don't know. What is the one thing that if I had the opportunity in my life, I'd say, forget it. I don't want to deal with this. Let's get rid of it. It's too difficult. It's uncomfortable. It's not fun. What is that thing? Got it? Now, see, try, stretch, believe by faith. to See if you can look into that thing and say, okay, I see it. I would have never chosen it for myself. But because it's here, because that's the reality of my path, then how is that thing making me a better Christian? and if you can get there if you can find the spot where you look at that and say wow i would have never chosen that i don't like it and i would have done anything i could have to avoid it but now that it's here i'm actually thankful for it because it's working on me in a way that i would have n- in a place i would never have gone to on my own then you're on the path to learning contentment When you can get to that spot and say, wow, Lord, you work all things together for good. They're not the things I would have chosen. I don't even know how you do it, but you did. And there it is. That's the secret sauce. I think God's game is uh, quite a different than Hasbro's. Theirs is a random spin, which happens to land on a certain square but his is not his are ordered steps that although they may lead through the valley of the shadow of death are guaranteed to get you to your journey's end it doesn't say the path will be easy but there is a promise And that promise is, no matter what path you're on, no matter where you're at, no matter what difficulty comes your way, if you are in Christ, then you can do all things through Him. Let me give you one other little assurance. And this is actually something I forgot to say earlier, but it's kind of radical. And it's this. Ready? Ready? God has to love me. God has to love me. (laughs) Some of my theology people are looking at me like this. That's good. Here's the reason I say that. And the only reason I can say that. If you are a born-again believer, then what that means is you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And if you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, that means this, because of the Trinity, the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father, there is never, ever, ever a break in that divine, perfect, harmonious, and loving union. So in other words, if I am truly in Christ, and I'm really convinced then I know for certain that there is nothing that can separate me from His love because the Holy Spirit is inside of me and therefore His blood is flowing through my veins. I share in that DNA. And it's not because of anything I've done or merit on my part, but instead because of the living presence of the Holy Spirit of God in me, then I'm good. I'm golden. And there's nothing that can separate me from His love. That's a wild thought. That impacts me deeply. And I think, I hope that will impact you too. So this week, as you come to that thing and you get ready and you see it coming down the path, you're like, there's that person, there's that need, there's that situation. Here's my weakness. It's coming front and center. I don't want to experience it. That's the time you say, okay, yep. God is with me. He's in me. He loves me. That means I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can do this, church. Not you, but Christ who's in you. Father, we thank you and praise you. Lord, I know it's a a hard spot to get to where we really believe we can do everything through Jesus. And Lord, we don't claim that promise glibly or glibly or lightly. But we know that tough stuff will come. And when it does, Lord, I pray that you'd help us not to forget your promises, but instead, God, to lean in and look up and truly believe that your grace is sufficient. By grace through faith, we say, there is nothing in heaven and earth that can separate us from your love. And we can do all things through you.